For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Are you fascinated and terrified by cases of missing people? Are you also looking for a new true crime comedy podcast to take your mind off of things? If so, we are super excited to tell you about Obsessed with Disappeared, a brand new true crime comedy podcast from the people who make the hilarious true crime obsessed. Obsessed with Disappeared is hosted by TCO's Patrick Hines and his best friend of 20 years, Broadway diva Ellen Marsh. Using humor, sass, and heart, each installment recaps an episode of everyone's favorite true crime show, ID's Disappeared. If you're serious about true crime and you also love to laugh, you're going to love Obsessed with Disappeared. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Jamie Lovecchia of Yukon, Oregon. Jamie will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. You know what you should do? I should say she and then you should jump in and say or he. Jamie will get a marathon decal showing she watched or he watched 26.2 hours of her is. favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Sarah D. Bunting, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or The Mothership. Today we're looking at SVU Season 14, Episode 7, Vanity's Bonfire. I let her give me a manual release. You can see how I didn't think that could in any way father a child. Just to be clear, you're saying that Dia retrieved your semen and then used it to impregnate herself? You see you do that? No, I, 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 when it was over, I left the room Im- immediately. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and host of the podcast, Crime Writers On, my wife, Rebecca Lavoy. Good day, Rebecca. Thanks for identifying me as your wife. As if that's more important than all the other credentials. Well, it's probably one that takes up the most time. Well, hello. <laughs> and rounding out the panel is our special guest from the Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs podcast and publisher of the Tomato Nation website, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello. I'm so excited to be here, you guys. Oh, I bet you say that's all the girls and guys. Uh, I, I do, but it doesn't mean it's not true, Kevin. <laughs> I can't believe you're excited to be here. I am talking to freaking Sarah Bunting right now, like one of my no, online wait, wait, wait. Heroes. Sarah D. Bunting. Sarah D. Bunting. Because apparently there is another Sarah Bunting who is. Do you want to tell the story, Sarah? Um, I don't actually know the story. Incarcerated? She's incarcerated (laughs) in New Jersey, or she was like 10 years ago. There's also a Sarah Bunting on Downton Abbey that I am not. That's right. I am also not her. That boring teacher lady. Oh, yeah. Boy, that that, pinko. That must have sucked. It's almost as bad as when I found out that Kevin Flynn was the lead character in Tron. (laughs) <laughs> they had a, they had a guerrilla That's marketing bad. campaign, which was Flynn Lives, <laughs> and my Google alerts were like off the hook, and I was like, God damn it, I've been alive the whole time. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I had the same problem. Just Downton spoilers streaming into my uh, oh. inbox. Thanks, guys. You oh. stay away from that Irish chauffeur. <laughs> now, how many times in your career do you think that you've written about Law & Order? 
I don't know. I couldn't begin. I couldn't begin to estimate so many. You filled at uh, least one hard drive. Yeah. On Previously.TV, we uh, did a Law & Order week that I think was the most popular theme week we did until Star Trek week, which tends to win these things. Law & Order week. Like, we are really obsessed with it. I love it. I never get sick of talking about it. When the day comes when you cannot find anyone else who watched the entire run of Criminal Intent, I am here for you. <laughs> oh my God. I can't, we have to have her back for a Criminal Intent episode because I feel like I'm the only one who ever watched that show. I, it's, it's just us two. <laughs> really, it, even Dick Wolf is like, that thing? Was that the one with, uh, what's her name? Govich on it? What was that one? Conviction? I watched that one too. Yeah, yeah. It actually comes up for me too because I, I love the Gorn and Eames combo so much. Much, but nobody knows who I'm talking about whenever I say their names. Oh, I do. Original flavor. Although, I don't know. What'd you think of Logan reappearing on that? Yeah, yeah, that was I a think thing. that was, but that's also kind of a very Dick Wolf kind of thing where he recycles those actors. And, well, he certainly recycles the actors oh, sure. in different roles, but bringing back some of the characters, at least the ones he doesn't outright kill off. Right. I always feel like he just ran into them in the mall and was like, you're not doing anything next week. We're doing this uh, episode. You want to just come on? That's how it feels to me. Well, like, Noth, I think, was kicked off the show. Yeah? Like, he and Wolf were not getting along. Huh. So he, like, he did not leave the show by choice. And then they had the movie. Exile. Yes, where it turned out Profaci was the bad guy. Oh, Profaci. Spoiler, I guess. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. Yes, don't go back and rewatch that movie. Like, we Loganettes were so excited. This was happening. It was like, maybe he'll come back to the franchise. And so at the time, I don't think I realized how dull the movie was, but I tried to rewatch it recently and passed right out. It doesn't hold up, is what you're saying. No good. It's like Beatles anthology. It's like, okay, free as a bird, I heard it. Yeah. Sarah, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Um, this is pretty controversial, but I'm the one who thought Chester was kind of amazing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Very, I mean, the underplaying, I guess you could say, was very soothing. Wow. Based on uh, your taste, I don't know if I'd order the same pizzas. <laughs> yeah, you probably wouldn't. Sarah, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. You know, I know Moriarty is bonkers and like kind of a bad guy now like kind of a bad crazy person but mm -hmm. i think ben stone and paul robinette wow digging yeah. deep good call yeah. deep cuts old school <laughs> oldest oh well, let's look at the first half of this episode, Vanity's Bonfire. We begin in the ominous setting of the asphalt jungle, which is a New York City playground. No sooner do Mr. and Mrs. Letty turn their backs than baby Tessa disappears. After ruling out the local sex offender, they look for Dia Nobile, the nice professional photographer who has been taking unsolicited pictures of the children because that's not any less creepy. <laughs> they track her down, rocking the baby that she swears belongs to her. And so ends another seven-minute episode of SVU. <laughs> you know, we just need to clear up a few things. What else is there to clear up? The woman who took Tessa, Dia Nobile, she has a bedroom in her loft that's extremely similar to Tessa's. And your nanny said that she didn't let her in. Neither did we. We told you that. 
She also said that she gave birth to Tessa and that she gave her up for adoption. So she's a nut job. Well, she does have a birth certificate for a baby girl, same age as Tessa. But it's not Tessa's because you have that. But why let a simple case end when you can have a PowerPoint showing that Dia has a birth certificate to claim, to back her claim that Tessa is really her baby? So the letty say Tessa was conceived by an unknown surrogate, and they have the paperwork too. Both documents were drawn up by the same lawyer, now deceased, till the family court can sort it out the baby is taken by social services. Dia says her baby daddy talked her into giving up the baby just for a month or two, well, he can get divorced, but in a twist of bad luck, she has been with the only married man ever to lie to his mistress about leaving his wife. <laughs> Dia finally identifies the father. He's the prominent dean of the law school. Name's Kent Webster, and his wife is dying of cancer. Now, we'll get to Mr. Webster in a minute, but as soon as you see two yuppies taking photos of their baby with phones on the playground, you know this kid is doomed, right? I know the kid is doomed. They are just too busy, too busy, too busy, too busy to possibly, possibly be the kind of parents who wouldn't get their baby kidnapped from the play. Tessa. Tessa. Baby, come here. It's the sunscreen. You're turning into one of those women we used to make fun of. She's got your fair skin. She'll play. Here's one of those, like, New York-y things that I'll just be annoying about it. There are prominent signs posted outside every public playground in the city that are like, if you can't be matched up with a kid you are not allowed to be there. <laughs> and the nannies take this real serious, like if there's not a cop around, that it's like no unattended adults. Certainly that guy's not going to be chilling next to the slide with his to-go baggie of beer. Yeah, the, the one or two cutaway so shots of him is like, uh-oh, that looks like a... A perp. A perp. That and he's like making perp face. Like he yeah. waited until camera was pointed at him and then was like, well, usually I just look like fourth period bio teacher, but now I'll make a perp face. Yeah. Like, all right. But meantime, there's this woman with no baby going, hey, I'm going to take your picture and then I'm going to sell it to you. And Right. Right. Well, she had the very, very convincing disguise of having a diaper bag with yeah. her, which is apparently all you need to kidnap a kid. If only the sex offender knew that. Go get a diaper bag and babies <laughs> are us and you're in. Yeah, thing- you, don't, you don't need perp face. You just need the accessories. <laughs> the thing that really struck me about the Lettys was like the big show, the writers, and we'll talk about the writing, I think, of this episode later, right? Please, please. Sure. Okay. <laughs> the writers in this episode really wanted us to know, like, these are busy people with busy lives and busy jobs. Because mom is like, I just need to send one more quick email. But then it's like, they're, they're also the kind of parents that like have to take video of putting sunscreen on their kid's face. Like they have the most important child who ever lived. Like. The New Yorkiness that they tried to make these parents be, to me, a little bit ham-fisted. So you're saying they're super assholes. <laughs> I, I was a New Yorker. I resemble that remark. There is a tendency, I think, on this show to, until we descended into the valley of the shadow of live baby fever a couple seasons <laughs> ago, there was definitely a tendency to judge the victims in the sense of like parents who were very busy and not paying enough attention to their kids and being very Brooklyn about everything. Totally. I live in Brooklyn. I get it. But when you watch a whole block of these reruns every day, like I might, (laughs) it really does start to stick out to you, like how judgy they are about like, well, if you both work and you're not paying attention, you deserve to think some guy with perp face grabbed your kid. 
Like, eh, I didn't love that. Sarah, remember the early episode with Hayden Panettiere where, like, the mom doesn't love her kids and they want to prosecute her for that because she's so busy with her singing career? She couldn't possibly love her adopted children, and that's what the whole thing is about. It's insane. But, and yet, somehow, that one was a heartbreaker. Like, Panettiere is really, is really good. Super like, good in that one. so good in that role, and it's <laughs> heartbreaking, and then, oh. And then look what happened. She grew up to be this troubled star on Nashville. I know. True, true, true fact. Now, I understand matching diaper bags, but how does uh, she duplicate every detail of the same nursery? You know, I think the crew just said, okay, let's move a rocking chair. We'll shoot it in the same room. <laughs> That's one of the very, very many loose ends of this episode. A couple of holes in this plot, yeah. <laughs> a couple. There, there was one of the many loose ends of this episode that was never tied up. I think we were to, supposed to believe that she had been in their house, right? But we never hear anything about that. Sarah, did I miss that whole part of the plot? I think there was throwaway line, but this is one of those episodes early in Kelly Giddish's tenure on the show where she was still having trouble disgorging all of that exposition while also swiping right on the fancy <laughs> PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was somewhere in that like word garbage salad that she gave us at, like right after the first commercial, but I'm not 100. I don't think it ended up mattering. Are you saying that Kelly Giddish's esteemed acting career as fake Dixie from All My Children didn't train her properly for this role? Uh, not yes. for the PowerPoints. <laughs> that is what I'm saying. It is a lot to do. I mean, I'm married to an actor, so I'm like hyper aware of sort of what they're being asked to do just like physically sometimes that she's like got all this computer stage business to do while also it's just a huge expo dump and then everyone is standing around doing their active listening exercise right, <laughs> like, right. are you hyper aware of her costuming too and that super weird studded armed jacket that she was wearing throughout the duration of the interrogation and police uh scenes in this episode in the sense that I was maybe trying to source it. Yeah. <laughs> They've been wearing some amazing outerwear, like the double-breasted styles that she and Liv have had in the wintertime lately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I've seen all these like a half a dozen times each. You got to do something. Yeah, yeah. Way to keep it fresh. <laughs> yeah. Now, we I'm a pro, folks. I am a pro. Now, we do see the natural tension between the characters of Benson and Amaro by which people they sympathize with mm -hmm. when it comes to what he said, she said, or what they said. Captain, I gotta tell you, by the look in her eye, Dia may have a connection to this baby. Well, what I saw in her eye was a whole lot of crazy. Am I right? Oh, totally. Amara's always like a super sexist, and Benson's always like, the woman is definitely a victim. And Wait, that's how does that make him a sexist if he... If he he sympathizes for the father. Well, he's always saying the father is a victim and the woman is super crazy. A whole bag of crazy. <laughs> it's always something like that. I mean, I yes, I, I did make a note of that line. <laughs> I love one that's ripped from an obvious headline. I love all of it, except Amaro. I fucking hate that guy. So do <laughs> I. Finally learned to write the character and then they shot him and shipped him off to wherever he ended up. So you hate the Amaro-sodes, huh? Yes. Oh, Amaro-sodes. Yeah. Thumbs down. Well, this episode has a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. But it's somebody that we know right away. It's Scott Bakula, yes. as you said, from Quantum Leap and NCIS, NOLA. I called her a year ago to thank her for the photos. She called me back on my home phone a few too many times. My radar was up and changed the number. I mean, he's a guy like you don't even have to look at him and you already know his name. So, of course, you know, he's up to no good. Right. Yeah. Well, although there's a couple of hey, it's that guy's Jessica. Is it Jessica hacked? 
who plays yep. his wife. That yep. was she was on Friends as the lesbian wife of Ross's ex. Right. Your marriage is solid. Well, it hasn't always been perfect, but since my diagnosis, Kent has been a rock. And she was also on Breaking Bad in a sort of recurring You got it. Mm-hmm. You got it. Role. Yep. Yep. And then Luke Kirby, if you watch, uh, he is more famous for something else, but I know him from Rectify on Sundance. Mm-hmm. So it was weird to see him. At, like, he looks exactly the same, except he's douchey instead of a hard-charging defense lawyer. Well, well who, recognized, who recognized who Dia was? We met when I shot the cover photo for his alum magazine. It was lust at first sight. Dia Nobile. That was uh, one of those. She was that. Was she a Phillips? She was yeah, like a. She was. Yeah. yeah. Is that Bijou Phillips, yeah, daughter of Mamas yeah, yeah. and Papas, John Phillips, and half sister to China and Mackenzie Phillips. Yeah, I could. I of course, could you the... know her, Rebecca, from her career-making turn on Celebrity Blackjack, <laughs> where she lost to Sharon Doherty. <laughs> I probably did watch. Oh, poor Shannon Doherty! What a hard week she's having, huh? Uh, but yes, I did. Um, I did actually watch Celebrity Blackjack a lot when it was on. I thought it was a really good show. Yeah, it was a good show. And she doubled down on six, which is like. The thing that I, think I was Dia would have doubled down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. here's what this is. This is here's what director James Toback had to say about her. "Quote: You never knew what the fuck she would say or do next. She is a genuine psychopath. I say that with affection and admiration." About the actress? Yeah, about Bijou Phillips. That's not something Amaro would say. <laughs> oh, huh? <laughs> well, look. You know, they could have made Dia a very sympathetic pawn, but instead, she she is batshit crazy. That's not an accident, Sarah. No. No, I don't think so, because I think they're also trying to make Count Bacula. (laughs) What is the character's name? Kent Webster. Nothing good comes of being named Kent on TV and in movies, (laughs) I I don't feel. See, also, uh, weird, not weird science. What's the one with uh, Val Kilmer where the house fills with popcorn at the end? Real genius. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Kent, didn't go well for him. (laughs) Anyway, my point, and I'm sure I did have one. Oh, right. I think they were trying in their own clumsy SVUE way not to give Kent Webster nuance but to make it less clear cut that he was like the bad guy like they're just trying to kind of make everybody the bad guy here which great job guys like none of this none of this is appealing and then of course the conclusion is like oh you know it's a it's sort of a gray area like it's (laughs) it's really not but we'll get to that yeah I have a question though and I don't know maybe I'm too early on this but like I was really confused. They kept referring to Kent Webster's father, who's like a famous judge who we never see, right? Right. And then Kent Webster is somehow also famous, even though he's just like a dean at a law school, right? Yeah, but no, I mean, you remember. But then they're like. She's claiming that Tessa's father is Kent Webster. Kent Webster. He's on the short list for the Supreme Court. She's a former yoga instructor. On what planet do these two cross paths? They met on a photo shoot. The editor who fired her still has an order of protection out against her. Okay, I mean, she's unstable, but a lot of guys like drama. Say, like, he's also on the short list for the Supreme Court. Like, who are they talking? Why do they know who this guy is? It's never clear to me. Well, because in New York, apparently uh, academics are uh, Famous? Ch- chased by the paparazzi. Because <laughs> that's what seems to happen. Okay. Can we just put a pin just for a second in Scott Bakula's incredible alibi just yet? I, I want to talk about how, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. I want to talk about how Dia tries to prove that she and Kent Webster are having an affair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, oh, 
It says yeah. they have all these sexy text messages. Look at his text. My phone's in my bag. You're the only star in my galaxy. My happiest place is in your golden triangle. It's my favorite one. And he sent these from his cell. No, we have a private phone. So there's no way to prove they're from him. Yeah, but he sent me pics of King Sebastian. That's what we call it. Okay. King Sebastian. <laughs> King Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, that's his peewee's name. That's uh, that's a really great detail. I wonder if like the great academic came up with that. He's like, well, he was the king of Portugal in the 1500s. So that's the name of my penis. <laughs> but I, I do it's better than Little Kent. <laughs> <laughs> now let's look at the rest of the episode. We meet the frail wife Jillian and her daughter Hannah, who vouch for Kent Webster as a family man and say Dia is a crazy woman. Meantime, the DNA test shows Dia is the mother, but the father is not Mr. Letty. And Kent Webster? She scratched him up pretty good, and we have more than enough DNA, but again, it's not at the top of the work list. Is there any way to hurry that up? Because Dia is claiming that Kent tricked her into giving up their love child. And Letty's were tricked into believing that baby Tessa came to them through a surrogate. There's no way I can prove he knew about the baby. Oh, he knew. I mean, come on. The sexting, the burner cell. He knocked up his mistress and then dummied up a bunch of legal papers to keep her quiet. He's a sociopath. Benson and Finn bluff Webster into thinking the DNA proves he's the dad. Then, the greatest legal mind of his generation comes up with this defense. Dia gave him a hand crank and his Ziggy did a quantum leap into her uterus. Nice, nice, nice. So, Classy. I quit. I quit. Are you talking about the oh. manual release? Yeah. So, oh. The team discovers that Webster's father, a powerful judge, arranged for the fraudulent adoption papers. Then paparazzi, who are apparently having a slow day, catch Webster and Dia kissing in a hotel. So the cops respond to his disturbance at Dia's and they find her dead on the floor and Webster rummaging around. Now, Webster's alibi holds up against Dia's time of death, so they look at Mrs. Webster. She confesses, although she's not strong enough to lift the heavy crystal used to bash (laughs) Dia's head in. Though Benson and Amaro know it's really the teenage daughter, they let Jillian Webster plead guilty to murder and spend her remaining days in prison. So, Webster's paternity alibi, is this the greatest moment in television, or is it just me? It's not the greatest, no. It is definitely the ickiest moment of this episode, hearing Scott Bakula of Quantum Leap talk about... My wife has been ill, and I... This is incredibly embarrassing. Go on. In a moment of weakness, I let her give me a manual release about his manual release and the note that I made both mentally and on my paper is A, he said that on TV, is that okay? And B, ew, 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 ew. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah, your reaction? I I just, maybe I've just been watching too much SVU for too long. That barely even registered to me. I just couldn't get past the fact that, as you deemed him, the, you know, second greatest legal mind of his generation, thought that this would fly, 
and then did just such a bad job of acting it. Well, I don't think Scott Bakula could even bring himself to look in the camera when he said those lines. He, he didn't just turn away from them. He turned away from America. This is incredibly embarrassing. I felt like every yeah. actor in this episode couldn't bring themselves to say these lines. I don't know. I don't want to disparage the writers behind this episode because it could have been a trick of editing. I don't know. All I know is no one really seemed to have their heart in it. Well, and I, I don't know. I mean... They're somewhere like they're sort of shooting. They're almost shooting glances at the camera like, really? <laughs> uh, but whenever um, Ice-T has to wear like a fake beard in jail, <laughs> like the, the long sort of like um, wing sun fighter beard, that's like you're not even, t- that's obviously dryer lint. You're not even trying. What's the budget for that? 17 cents? But this one I really did feel... Uh, Primarily because we didn't see Webster Sr. Like, who is it? Daniel Webster? (laughs) The devil and Daniel Webster? It's like, he was too busy writing the dictionary. I feel like this episode was probably originally like 48 minutes long. And they just couldn't make it work. But also, there are some weird things about the way that the plot line... plays out with Scott Bakula's family like they live like in a huge huge ass brownstone they're obviously mm-hmm. like incredibly wealthy how right so there there's a missing piece and then also they get arrested in that like super duper fancy restaurant which is where everybody gets arrested you know if you're in these kinds of episodes of SVU and it's like where's dad like it, it really does feel like a lot of missing pieces Sarah's absolutely right Based on who whose headlines this was ripped from, maybe there was a little more attention on it from legal, and they were like, you have to cut this, you have to cut that. Ah. So they shot like a bunch of stuff, and legal was like, here are the five minutes that you can't have. And yet, everyone knowing that this is someone whose name rhymes with fond fed words, <laughs> the, the, the bit of the completely Rococo plotting, even for SVU, that gets left in is where he gets a wristy and that's how he was paternitized. Like, oh. You can see how I didn't think that could in any way father a child. Just to be clear, you're saying that Dia retrieved your semen and then used it to impregnate herself? You see her do that? No, I, I, I when it was over, I left the room Im- immediately. Oh. I don't, like, that got left in? But I don't remember if... Uh, Fawn Fedwards alleged that that's what happened with what's her name? <laughs> I don't think that's what he alleged. No, I don't think so. Now he actually did go to law school, and he knew that wouldn't. They knew that wouldn't work. He probably went to science class too. <laughs> uh, now, Sarah, as a website editor, how much money would you pay for compromising photos of a law school dean? <laughs> well, it depends on the dean and whether his specialty is torts mm-hmm. or property but overall I'd have to say zero dollars right. really what if he was doing it on a copy of the constitution <laughs> <laughs> yeah why would zero dollars pa- still zeros out why would the yeah. paparazzi follow a law professor that was definitely one of my capitalized uh, notes during this episode apparently it's he's like uh, these Websters are like Kennedys or something like that right and look how we just sort of glossed over poor Dia Nobile's tragic murder right it happens 40 minutes into the episode right it's clearly supposed to be like the main story of the show it's the one that ends up sort of getting like 
the whole show is sort of built around, like who killed Dia Nobile. It happens 40 minutes in. We briefly see her lying on the floor and him rummaging around her drawers, and that's it. Poor Dia, who like played this like central, you know, crazy town, fun character all the way up until this point. You know, hardly knew her. Well, this whole other sort of red herring plot line has to do with the Lettys and assuming that baby Tessa was theirs by a surrogate. And so the baby's caught in the middle. And then when the family court judge rules that, well, they sorted out the baby must go into protective custody, Benson's face just drops. Yeah. Which is, you know, very much in her character, sort of the half eye roll, like, I can't believe you're going to do that. Well, babies for Benson, it's like the way that I feel about, I don't know, ice cream that's like babies for Benson she's all about especially like as as V starts to to ramp up no she just wants one like so bad and they sort of cooked that into her character in a way that's really depressing where you know it sort of is hinted at all along and like Elliot Stabler has all these kids and like she doesn't and then it's just it just becomes like so maudlin and this is a great example of how maudlin it becomes although I mean on the one hand I was getting a little tired of her taking every rape that resulted in a pregnancy personally, <laughs> but then she took every kid case personally as well. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but like, it's like sometimes every day is everybody's first day. That's right. But like, sometimes the faces she makes, like, look, she's been doing this a lot of years. Right. Bless her heart. But <laughs> the way they're directed to just be like, Someone was sexually assaulted? (laughs) Get me some pearls to clutch! Like, you are the lieutenant in charge of this division, bitch! Get a grip on something, anything. Not the special car theft unit. Well, that's why they're so elite. That's what makes them so elite. What, that they still have feelings? They haven't lost the capacity for shock. I don't I don't know. I, don't know. I, I mean, I still love it. Like, the worse and more ridiculous it is, yeah, me the too. more I love it. <laughs> me too. Totally into it. Me too. Well, it leads to a very controversial ending where they're going to falsify evidence or at least keep their mouth shut about what they really know happened to let a poor little rich girl go to counseling and let her dying mother take the fall for murder and die in jail. Right. Which and- seems like... Unfair and illegal. And like in other episodes that have had almost this exact same plot, Sarah, I think you know which ones I'm talking about, where it turns out like the kid did it. There is uh-huh. no mercy on those fucking kids in these other episodes. For some reason, this little milk toasty girl gets like all of this mercy just because her mom happens to be like a pretty good actress. I don't know. I was pretty dumbfounded by that whole thing. Well, and let me ask you this. What was your feeling on how that situation was left between Benson and Amaro. Jillian has made sure that Hannah gets counseling for everything. The counselor is going to report directly to me. I think I can do this on my own if you have any doubts. So, Jillian's confession. She raised that heavy crystal and repeatedly struck Dia's head. Mothers have been known to lift a car when their adrenaline's pumping. Have we ruled out other suspects? Her daughter, where was she? Home. All afternoon, logged in. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't, I didn't really, so she was like basically trying to get his buy-in, right? So it was like her. But then she also left the door open for him to be like, actually, and like 
contradict her without implicating her, which he didn't do. But right. I'm unclear on whether he was like just on the back foot and wasn't sure what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Was this still in the period where she was kind of like, you're not my real stabler and was like stomping out of rooms all the time? Or was she done with that by now? I think I, I think, think she was done. Let's just I mean, he's basically like a petulant teenager. And insofar as we can call her a grown up, I mean, she's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I mean, sometimes Olivia Benson astonishes me with her strength. But most of the time, I'm like, come on, you know, very much like what Sarah said. But um, yeah, no, I didn't really understand that that dynamic either. And and Cragen's like total cluelessness was also incredibly frustrating to me because Cragen does usually have all these kids' numbers, at least in my experience, he does. Yeah, or no, deliberately doesn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if the he's other way. not going to, yeah, I didn't get that sense from this. I got the sense that he was like, you know, lots of cases out there. Moving on, close it up. So. I don't know, but it, it was a weird moment where I think we were supposed to take something from it that I'm not sure they communicated in terms of their partnership and having each other's backs. I'm just not 100 on where it was at the end. Totally now, agree. Now, we never actually uh, find out what happened to the baby, and we want to take some guess. <laughs> Unless our DVR cut off that part, that is like the, the biggest loose end I have ever seen at the end of any episode of any franchise of Lawner. I Sorry, uh, on the episode what? that you watched, do well, we find out what happened to the baby? Uh, no. However, <laughs> I'm going to assume that it goes back to the, the Lettys or the Teddies or the, the Brooklyns, whatever their names were. The Lettys. Not to the dead that mother, eventually, huh? Yeah. No. Well, that would be, that would be awkward. Uh, well, they awkward. finally have to get a good lawyer so they can make that happen. I don't, I don't know what you believe about the afterlife, but that would be a, that'd be a tough one. I think the biggest cliffhanger, at least in this franchise that I can remember, is the one where... Oh, I don't remember this actress's name, but uh, professor, her art professor, Billy Campbell, she accuses him of raping her. He says she just liked it rough. It just goes back and forth like this. And Benson and Stabler are screaming, fighting <laughs> over this case. And then we don't get a verdict, but there's like a super long act out that's like the Lady and the Tiger of SVU episodes. And then we don't ever <laughs> find out what happened. This one was similar and it did put me in mind of that other one, but... You almost expect, like, discussion slide to come up, like, in the social hygiene film. <laughs> like, <laughs> what would you do? Would you accept the hand job or not? Yeah. <laughs> Gallant believes the victim's statement. <laughs> Goofus thinks she's full of shit. Oh, she just, she just quoted a highlights talking about SVU. I feel so dirty now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't use the word Ziggy in connection with the bacuspermum. That was your boy, Kevin. It was. It was. He's very classy. Well, that was from uh, yeah. Quantum Leap. Okay. That was the name of the computer. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know. This episode takes some cues from the real-life drama surrounding former presidential candidate John Edwards and his affair with a staffer. Edwards' campaign had hired Riel Hunter in 2006 as a videographer to document his run for the White House. Edwards' family life was in the news because his wife, Elizabeth, announced she had breast cancer. Rumours about the liaison with Edwards' staffer first got attention in the tabloids before the mainstream media ran with them. Then Hunter gave birth to a baby girl in 2008. Edwards did everything he could to hide his connection to his love child. 
he enlisted staffer Andrew Young to claim paternity of the baby, and the campaign diverted political contributions to Hunter as hush money. Edwards finally admitted to the affair, but denied he was the father of Hunter's baby, still saying it was Young's. In 2010, Edwards would come clean about his paternity. Elizabeth Edwards legally separated from her husband and died several months later. John Edwards was charged with six felonies related to the campaign payoffs. Although the jury failed to convict him, the scandal put an end to the career of a charismatic politician. Now, Rebecca, that's the real story. You have your own story about John Edwards, right? Oh, I really do. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell America about this. Back in 2004, I was standing on my porch getting the mail when a very nice presidential candidate came on to the walkway up to my house, which, by the way, actually does happen here. Like In New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. Hampshire primary, yeah. A lot. And um, it was John Edwards. And this was way back in the day. And uh, I'm just going to say I liked him a lot. We talked for like half an hour. I thought he was the real deal. That really happened. <laughs> and did you vote for him? No. So the um, return on the investment of that half hour was pretty, was pretty No, low. no, no, no. It wasn't good he for him. He has a wonderful voice, though. I always felt like whatever happened in politics, which now will be Bubkiss, he would have a fine future narrating like if City Confidential ever came back. <laughs> totally, totally. And he wrote, he wrote that. great narrator for he, that. He wrote that book about his legal cases and it was like, you know, fighting for the little guy. I don't know. I, I liked him at the time. I did not recognize, though, anything about the John Edwards story in this episode of SV. If you hadn't told me that's what it was based on, I never ever would have guessed that. Because you you're still in love with him from that half hour. No, there the- was just nothing about the SVU episode that was anything like the John Edwards story, except for the fact that Dia Nobile was a photographer, which is barely connected because Riel Hunter was a videographer, not a photographer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so much oh, of a, yeah. that's enough of the change at NBC Universal Legal. Event. Okay, yeah, that's good. Make her a photographer. But he wasn't running for office. He wasn't, you know, his dad wasn't, or maybe he wasn't, maybe that was the part that got cut where he was supposed to be in the Supreme Court. I don't really know. I don't, because who is that then? The Oliver Wendell Holmeses? <laughs> the Al Gores? I don't think so. And But I wouldn't have caught it either on my own because they put the card up at the beginning that's like, yeah. we know we always say this, but we're going to leave it up a little extra long this time. This is not based on anyone real. And I was like, so who's it based on? <laughs> so I Googled it. Because I really, I was like, well, I'm being tortured with an Amaro Sode for a reason. And I want to know what that reason is. And now I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it, that it, we're strolling down memory lane with Rebecca and John Edwards. That's right. That's right. The, I'm with it. The real life story and in the fictional uh, version here, doctoring up some adoption paper seems like child's play compared to getting a staffer to claim your love child as his own. Right, and Dia was in on saying the baby wasn't hers. Like she was in on it. Like she was okay yeah, with giving no, up the baby. Yeah, but no, I'm talking about Andrew Young, the guy who worked for oh, the yeah. real there was John no, Edwards. Yeah. Said, "Oh no, it's it's my baby." That was. I mean, how much of a sycophant yeah. do you have to be? Okay, sure, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> well, and also, it's not going to be just for a few months in real life. Like, presumably, the end game is the White House. So this is basically indefinitely keeping the secret and pretending like this kid is yours and you don't know about this relationship. Like, I mean. 
I guess this is how sociopaths like Edwards think. I can't say. It does give me hope that House of Cards could be more real than we think it is, <laughs> honestly. Because it was like a very like Doug Stamper <laughs> thing for that guy to do, right? Yeah. I'll do uh, anything to protect you. I'll, you know, and I am one of the few, just as controversially as you know, you have your favorite detective in SVU. I'm one of the few people in America who feels like a tremendous amount of empathy for Doug Stamper and like likes him a lot. Oh my um, gosh. We love Doug Stamper at previously TV. <laughs> Love him. <laughs> I love him a lot, and I I do feel I feel for that guy. Is what weird? What's he doing now? You think we should look it up? <laughs> what? Uh, probably doing that weird bourbon injection <laughs> thing. That, that was the only thing I didn't like about Doug Stamper. I was like, son, that's perfectly good bourbon. Speed <laughs> it up. At least swish it around in your mouth and spit it out. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. That's right. That's right. Hey, you know, despite uh, the sympathetic profile she enjoyed, the book Game Change says that Elizabeth Edwards was a crazy freaking bitch. I does, remember that. Does that change your opinion of her at all? Nope. No. No. I'm sorry. I think that is sexist bullshit right there. I think that you can be John Edwards' wife. She probably had a not-so-great personal life. She's being dragged around the country when she has cancer. She's, uh, as you know, having been a reporter and attended house parties with Elizabeth Edwards, she was able to put on a great game face for the crowd, yes mm-hmm. or no? Yeah, she's is very that nice not her to job? me. Is that not that, her job? That is the, the political spouse, yeah, that is your job. And if she's not nice to people behind the scenes because she's tired, because she has, I don't know, cancer that is her damn right and nobody would ever say to the perfect male politician who's like really great with the crowd works everyone like like nobody talks about men that way so i i take umbrage at 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 besmirching the reputation of the cancer-stricken now deceased elizabeth edwards well rebecca and even if she weren't cancer-stricken Fuck off. Please. That's going to do it for us. Thank you to our great guest, Sarah D. Bunting. Sarah, where can listeners follow you online? Oh, my gosh. Well, the easiest place to follow me and get all my latest thoughts on baseball, true crime, law and order, and random disgusting snacks that only I enjoy is on Twitter, at Tomato Nation. And I hope that you will visit my other site, Previously.tv, and enjoy all of our law and order content. There's so much of it and more coming all the time. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was so great. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Now, Rebecca, where can our listeners follow you? They can't find me and any of the places Sarah Debunting is because she is more talented and cooler than I am. But they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. And you can tweet to me at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on iTunes. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Studio C and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media.